What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Real Network. Again, that's the Real Estate and Healthcare Leadership Network. Uh, this is the Anatomy of a House Hack webinar, and we are dissecting all of the ins and outs of finding a property to live in and then move out and turn it into a rental. Uh, we've already heard some from amazing guest speakers. Up next, we got Dave Williams. Dave Williams was the guinea pig. He was the first person I ever interviewed uh, for the podcast. Uh, the first episode. So huge thank you to Dave for boosting my confidence and entertaining me, just this random guy in Florida, just just yelling about real estate. So I appreciate you uh, helping me get started. Uh, Dave here is a physical therapist, um, but he has transitioned out of healthcare and into full-time real estate agent. Uh, he's self-titled himself a real estate advisor now. Um, because he is extremely well-versed in all the ins and outs of not just home buying to live in, but also home buying as a you know an asset class for investment purposes. Um, he's out in Denver. He's got some beautiful, beautiful kiddos. Uh, he's got two like myself. Um, wait, you've just one. Kids? No, oh, God, just one? I, I thought you two, had two Tommy. kids. I don't know how you have two and you're awake this hour. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Just, just one kid for now. Um, but Dave went to Duke and he had over 200 K in student loans. And I'm sure he'll touch on that when he's sharing his story and how that kind of contributed to finding real estate as a path. But, um, yeah, take it away, Dave. Sure. Um, yeah, I, thank you. I appreciate you having me back on. Um, it's always good to talk to you. And I think we connected from the very beginning because, um, just passionate about getting into healthcare and realizing that it maybe isn't going to get us to the life that we maybe thought it was going to. And um, like you mentioned, I went to Duke for PT school. I finished undergrad um, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go to the best PT school I can get into um, so that I can be the best PT I can be. And the opportunity at Duke um, came. And so I, I took that and I was straight out of undergrad with little to no financial education. And so um, I just didn't even think twice. Oh, they offer student loans for it. So that must be enough. So did that, came out, um, was a travel physical therapist and like, you know, made good money and quickly um, realized that that Though travel would make good money, it's not consistent and you don't have long-term health care. And in the end of the day, I needed to shift plans and I owed a tremendous amount of money. I remember an exit interview and it was like for all the people that took student loans at Duke could come to this like 30 minute talk when we were graduating. And they're like, okay, if you took the full amount, um, your salary would need to be in order to pay it off in 10 years, uh, your salary would need to be $330,000. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm never going to make that. Like that, there's PTs that don't make, that's just not a thing in PT. So um, I ignored that as a young person and just went and traveled <laughs> and um, later came back to say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do to figure this out? And so originally went down the public service loan forgiveness route and work for a nonprofit, which I do think for a lot of people is a really good route. Um, but Part of the way through that, um, at, at 
PT school, I'd met my wife. She's also a physical therapist. She's fortunate enough to not carry the same debt that I carried from school. Um, but we decided, you know, like this wasn't going to get us to the life that we wanted to live. And so we really started to search out very um, strategically, like what could be the tool to help us to do that. And um, we went down several different paths from like owning our own non-medical home care company to provide in-home care to seniors to um, eventually find real estate. And so um, that's how we got started in real estate. And then that's just kind of snowballed from there to, you know, leaving PT as a whole and transitioning fully into real estate now. Man, such such a winding path that just aligns really well with everything that I've said, Stacy said, Jessica said, of just, you come to a realization, wait, the amount of hours that I would need to work or the amount of money that I would need to generate trading my time for money is just simply not possible. And I think the sooner that you run those numbers and come to that realization, the quicker that you can make moves and make decisions to to kind of alter that that course. Um, so, so it sounds like you had that realization pretty early compared to some other folks. I mean, I was at that point, probably about six years out of school. Yeah. About six years out of school. So we, we, my wife and I, we met at school. We did travel PT for a couple of years. Um, we got married, we moved to Denver and then, you know, all right, we're adults now. We took uh, nonprofit jobs. And then after a couple of years that, okay, the next adult move is like we buy a house. And so we weren't buying it as a real estate asset, but we were just buying a house because that was the next kind of thing we felt that we were supposed to do. Um, once we owned the house, then we kind of um, learned about real estate investing and stumbled into house hacking. And um, so started listening to Bigger Pockets podcast and started renting our basement out to other Duke PT students when they were out here in Denver on their clinical rotation. So it was like a, a way to give back to students in the program. It was a way to like not have to fully feel like we needed to know how to vet out a tenant because one, they were a Duke student, two, they were a PT, and three, they were only there for a three-month period of time. So it was pretty safe um, bet. And then through that, like that allowed us to get our feet under ourselves and kind of learn about one, making money without treating patients. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Um, and then two, we were like, okay, we could do this. And so we started doing, um, renting it to other people outside of um, the PT students and kind of learned the landlord, you know, ins and outs a bit more after that. Um, but that's kind of what snowballed the start of our journey. Man, I love that. I love that. And so just um, what made you select real estate realtor? What kind of motivated you to kind of look at that as a career option? Because I know you you are now a realtor, real estate agent. What, what kind of spurred, like if you were like, man, I'm going to work for Amazon, I'm going to sell stuff online, or I'm going to be a realtor. What kind of motivated that decision? So by the time I considered getting my real estate license, um, we had the first house that we house hacked. We moved out of that and turned that into a long-term rental. And then the second house that we purchased, now we were looking very clearly at real estate as an asset and as an investment. And so um, we were about halfway through the renovations on that, been there for about a year. And I, it was just became what I was passionate about. Like I was 
I loved still and still like I love to care for people as a physical therapist. The rest of the job, I was massively burnt out. And I just felt the layer at that point, I was doing home health physical therapy, which to me was by far the best field to um, have autonomy of my schedule, have autonomy of, um, I got to choose the plan of care for my patients. I got to work way less hours than my outpatient counterparts, and I made more money than them. So I felt in physical therapy, I had like, I had peaked in the line of being a clinical physical therapist as far as uh, a lifestyle. And I didn't have any interest in you know, extra uh, credentials or, um, you know, going down an academic route. And so it kind of felt like I had reached the end of the line and being a physical therapist at a clinical level, I had no desire to be middle management because in Colorado, at least they got paid less. And then, you know, then, you know, the, the therapist didn't like them and the management didn't like them. And I wanted nothing to do with that. So, uh, real estate had truly become my passion and what we were talking about all the time. And like, that's the mentorship that I was seeking out. And that was the, group of people that I was seeking around and being around and pretty much always talking about. And so um, I had a good buddy who was uh, my agent on the first two deals. And so I just kind of kept picking his brain about what it looked like to be an agent. And I said, you know, I'm going to give this a go. <laughs> and so I um, got my license and then took on, um, like I just made the full tr transition from PT because she worked in a clinic full-time to um, loan officer. And she made like the switch like that when the time came um, because I worked home health, I was able to reduce my hours, still be full-time and um, start to do real estate at the same time, which ended up being like a very busy and crazy year, but it allowed me to transition in what felt like a safer way going from a salaried position to a hundred percent commission um, position. Yeah, I love you sharing that story. Um, and so a couple of things to kind of point out there is, one, if you're going to be qualifying for loans to buy houses, which obviously is, you know, kind of a important part to get started, you really need that W-2 income to make it a little bit easier to qualify. And so as a physical therapist, nurse, whatever your position is, having that W-2 income is going to be key to help you qualify for the loans. So getting the highest paying job as quick as possible is super important. Um, so I'm in home health down here in Tampa. You are in home health. Home health is by far the highest paying for at least physical therapy. I'm not sure how it shakes out for nursing, but I imagine it pays pretty well. Um, just the nature of it set up. You're doing a lot more work, um, but getting your income up so you have a lot of strong income on paper. So you have a high W-2 allows you a little bit more flexibility and options when you're going to qualify for loans. Um, also and we use that and paired the, that with any time before I left a job was we would try to get to that point to purchase that next property so that it would be like, okay, we've got, we've checked that box and then that allowed that freedom to, you know, take the a, a change in income status. Exactly, exactly. Because all an underwriter is looking at is they're calculating risk. How likely is this person to pay back this loan? How likely is the income that they have made over the past one, two, three years going to be projected into the future? So if you have a W-2, your license, you have a relatively stable paycheck, they're going to be really comfy cozy and lending is going to be, and underwriting will be relatively simple. Um, if you have kind of income that comes up and down, you have travel income, you're self-employed, cash-based therapist, that can introduce a little bit of complexity and 
inside of our, we will be addressing that um, in probably future webinars, but not in this webinar. Um, but having W-2, reliable W-2 is the easiest way to transition into, you know, buying a house. Um, and then the other thing, oh, transitioning to be a real estate agent. One thing about physical therapy is it teaches you how to work super duper hard and learn how to grind it out like there is no tomorrow. And you have had amazing success being a real estate agent. And I think it's because of how you learned how to grind as a physical therapist. Can you not, I, I want to brag on you. I know you're not a, you're a humble guy, but can you kind of say some of the accolades you've gotten? I know you got rookie of the year and the top 10 agent. And what, what are all the, what are all your awards you've gotten so far? Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So first year when I was doing full-time PT and real estate, um, I was the rookie of the year at a, uh, Mike Keller Williams downtown Denver office and was fifth overall for rookies in the state of Colorado that year. Um, since then, every year has continued to get better. Um, I'm in the top 10 in my office of over 300 agents. Um, and I would hundred percent agree. I think there's two things. And I, 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 cause I get the question all the time. Cause I took on a tremendous amount of debt. I went to PT school and then I did it for 10 years and then I fully left. And so people are always asking like, oh, do you wish you didn't go to PT school or like, oh, bet you wish you didn't take on that debt. And I mean, it was a lot of money, but like I met my wife, I had the time of my life and, um, and I've been able to have all of these experiences that like, I, I would never go back to change. Um, and I think that it being a physical therapist, there's so many skills that carry over directly to being a real estate agent. It's like identifying goals setting a plan of action, helping to enable someone to achieve those goals um, and knowing it's it's their goals and it's their actions that have to take it. And I just get to be a facilitator along the way. And um, and then it's like dealing with people in very stressful environments and like that in physical therapy, it's, you know, coming off an injury, it's coming off an illness. Uh, there's other people involved, right? The family members are involved. And so there's so many parallels to doing real estate as an agent as there was as doing um, physical therapy that I think have helped really to help propel my career forward as an agent. Yes, I have, that is something that'll hold a lot of people back. Um, I think uh, Yell's friend Cena out in Denver, he tagged it, the sunken cost fallacy that you say, well, I've put in this much time and I've put in this much money and I've put in this much effort. I might as well just stay where I'm at. Um, right. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing to have to kind of overcome to get into the game. Yeah, and there's an identity that other people probably, I mean, we all do it ourselves. Like, uh, I think in all healthcare fields, it's like you're a giving person to be in healthcare. And you feel like if you leave that, are you taking away from giving of yourself to other people? Um, and there's the thought that other people think of you that way and like what are they going to think if you leave this career because they think it's stable and they think it's good paying and they think you're helping other people so how would you do that to go and do real estate and um i think you got to not care what other people think first and foremost <laughs> and change is like the only constant is change and so whatever aligns with you at different parts of your life like if you don't follow that like I, I would personally be a miserable person. Like I was on the verge of being a miserable person. And so um, I think just accepting that change is going to happen and just preparing for it and tackling it in the best way possible is 
kind of the way of I approach living life. Yeah, I love that, man. Also, a huge advantage out there in Denver is y'all have basements. Y'all have basements that you can, uh, you know, rent out down here in Florida. Not a lot of basements because that's the ocean. <laughs> um, but out there in Denver, y'all have the advantage of you can you can pick up some extra income uh, from a property without going full send like Jessica and Stacy did with having roommates in the home. You're able to kind of have like roommate, not quite a multifamily situation. Um, so you can kind of unpack that a little bit more. You said you were renting it out to Duke students. Yeah. So the first house we had was like a traditional house that had a basement. And um, so it was like a shared kitchen space on the main level and then a shared laundry space on the lower level. But other than that, they had two bedrooms and a bath downstairs and a living area. And then we kind of had the same mirror image upstairs. So kind of separate. And then depending on, you know, the person that was staying downstairs is like what level of boundaries you needed to set um, or how much, you know, you were going to hang out, watch your TV in the evenings versus everybody goes to their separate ways. Um, so then fast forward, that was the first one. And then fast forward to the most recent house hack we had, uh, we purchased it specifically because it had a basement that had its own separate entrance that we could have as a lock-off unit to be a uh, Airbnb. So it was a new built townhouse. It was designed to have this exact setup. And so um, we put a, it was plumbed and wired for a kitchen in the basement. So um, we bought that with the exact purpose of like, we were going to Airbnb that basement and uh, we built a, a wall in our unit to block it off. So full separate entrance, never saw the tenant or the guest at that point. And um, yeah, basement's been great, man. I, I'm from Arizona. We didn't have basements either. Um, I've had uh, issues with basements this year because it's, it's particularly rainy year and I've had some flooding in one of the properties and basements in ways that have been uh, challenging, but you know, overall basements have been good. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. The the basement physical therapy investor. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be a very catchy uh, Instagram there. <laughs> uh, so let's see. So let's see. So we're talking about that. Uh, so kind of. So kind of walk me through. Uh, Jessica has a really good newsletter, and I know you've put up a couple like updates, like a market update situation. Um, so kind of from your perspective, being on the, do you do more of the buying side or listing side or is Keller Williams structure where you guys do all of it? Um, myself and my brokerage, the way I'm, I represent sellers and buyers. Um, I've okay. been more heavily on the buy side. I, I mean, it's what I talk about all the time is the benefits of investing in real estate. And so, um, I've probably represented like 75% buy and 25% sell, um, but okay. yeah. Yeah. So the current, so the current kind of climate inventory coming down, interest rates going up, how do you kind of see like where the market is right now? Is it good for investors? Is, do people need to wait kind of how, how, what are kind of those conversations that you're having with buyers right now? My conversations now are, it's absolutely time to look for a deal. Like if you're in a position that you can eat the rate and uh, I talked with Jess about, you know, temporary rate buy downs and like personally on our most recent purchase, we used a temporary rate buy down. I think that's an effective tool to manage a monthly payment and buy some time, you know, before, uh, before a refi. I'm past the point of advising or not, I, I would never advise like, cause nobody's got the crystal ball of when rates are going to come down or what's going to happen with rates in general, if they go up or not. Um, you know, to the point now it's like, 
this is the strategy I'm using. I think that there's economic indicators that we can see rates decrease in the next two years. But if they don't, in year three, if this if rate comes to full, you know, 7.75, you need to be comfortable to make that payment. And so like I'm always I want to advise fully because um it's not about making a deal, but it's like developing a relationship with someone that they continue to use you and refer you as an agent. And also that I don't want to give bad advice or advice that I wouldn't give myself. Um, so I think, you know, looking at that, is there ways, there creative ways that you can get some help on the monthly payment? But other than that, like there are properties that um, if they're priced high to start or something happens where they sit on the market for goes on 15 days, then 30 days. And I think past that, um, right now there's they're sellers that need to sell. They've had, because of life, they've had to move to a new place or um, they've already bought that place. And now they're in a position where they're paying two payments or they've moved somewhere and they're paying rent somewhere. And so um, I'm looking particularly for opportunities like that, where there's something in the market that's told me that there's high seller motivation. And those are the ones that we can get the seller to um pay off, pay for all your closing costs. Those are the ones we can get the seller to pay for a temporary rate buy down. Or those are the ones that we can buy for significantly less value than they will be as soon as the market just does that little tiny uptick. Like it feels like things are slow now, but it's still so have at least in my market, it's still so heavily a seller's market based on the supply and demand inventory that it's only going to take a slight decrease in rates for all the people to come back out. And then it's the multi-bid, it's the bloodbath, it's the wave, the appraisal, it's the, you know, wave your intent, um, your inspection contingencies. Um, so I think there's the caveat that it's like, yeah, your monthly payments are hard to stomach when you see other people's payments when they have a three or 4%. However, um, property values haven't decreased by hardly anything in, in like, especially in our market. Um, so what do you think is going to happen when rates become perceived affordable? You know, it's through the roof. And so it's, I, I encourage people to look for equity deals now, things, buy things for less than they should be valued for. And uh, I think that that's a real opportunity now through the winter until next spring or until where rates are, you know, perceived better. Yeah. A lot of great insight there. I think that one of the cool but bad things, well, I think one of the coolest things about real estate is real estate is very, very regionally um, segregated. So when you think about investing in the stock market, there is one stock market in the US that everybody puts their money in and out of. It's one stock market, very liquid. The huge cool thing with real estate is real estate is not very liquid. It's a huge process to buy a house, sell a house, get a mortgage. Um, so it creates a certain level of stability um, there. And the real estate markets are very regional. So the real estate market in Denver is not the real estate market here in Tampa. That's different from Atlanta and Charleston and, you know, all over the U S. So you have a huge advantage where if you zoom into a particular market, the dynamics there may be totally different. Um, and so that's where, you know, just because the market you live in may not be the best for investing, it doesn't mean that all of the markets across the whole U.S., that every house in the whole U.S. is not a deal. Right. And I think like you mentioned like early on, it's there's a difference. There's, it's a wheel and there's different spokes. And so there, there's a different 
strategy. Like there, I've, I'll have people that are okay to buy with a negative monthly cash flow because they're really high earners and help offset their taxes. Like that's not a strategy that most people would take, but it is a strategy that this market would lend itself to. So, you know, there's, Oh, I have too much money. <laughs> oh no, shucks. And I got that definitely not God. the purpose of, you know, house hacking is the opposite yeah. of that. Um, <laughs> but I think the I think it's just uh, it's important to recognize that it's like there, there's many different ways to look at investing, and then you add on the layers that there's different markets, um, and then I I think now it's like it's it's fun because it's it's a market of like skill matters and intelligence matters and, and analyzing things the right way matters, um, whereas like. Before, if you were a seller, you just put it out there and people would, you know, crawl over each other to try to buy that thing, throw money at you. That's not the case now. Um, buyers, you were just like, you know, what level of threading the needle of waiving your contingencies and your rights did you need to go to get that? And like what kind of tools out of the tool bag, which, um, you know, to, and then sometimes you could throw everything you possibly had at a property and just someone had cash and more. And the seller just said, I'd rather that for whatever reason. Um, whereas now it's like, there's, there's opportunities to be creative. There's opportunities to intelligence and strategy matter more now. Absolutely. I think, um, when it comes to kind of your standard real estate agent of just, you know, I'm buying this house to live in it versus your real estate agent that is looking at all these different ways to kind of look at a deal. Um, can you kind of speak to that? How, how you've kind of positioned yourself to be more, uh, you have more ways to kind of look at a deal over just a regular standard, you know, buy and sell realtor. Um, and how's that kind of served you? I, yeah, man, I think it's so important to like, well, no matter what you're doing, I would want to partner with a, one, a professional that is like a full-time professional and two, that does the things that I'm trying to execute. And so like, that's how I bring it a lot is like, I'm doing these things and I've, and I've done it from the ground up. Like, like I'm not a high level investor doing high level things. Like I'm grinding, like I've moved five times in eight years and like pack my things up and I move and you know, it's, it's not glamorous, but it's super effective. And so um, I do it in the market that I sell in. And so I can help to to talk to the different ways that, you know, especially like just said, it's like, it's so important for us to try to bring this message to healthcare providers, because we know we're not the only ones who feel the pain. Like we know the people on this webinar are not the only ones who feel this pain. And so um, how can we share the ways to do it? And like one is not only just to talk about it, but is to actually do it. And so, um, and then be a part of a network that does things like that. And so that one is how I, I help to differentiate myself. And two is to partner with someone like Jess, who like, I don't have to know all the lending strategies because <laughs> I have a partner that is dialed in that um, we can work together to help like, not only are we providing a great strategy on the property that you're looking to purchase now, but it's like, how does that play into a longer term goal? Like you talked about, it's like, it's important to look at the end and like we help as a part of someone's team to look at how does this property play into goals now, but also what is this piece? Um, is this getting you to that, you know, goal in the end that you want to, is this getting you that life in the end that you want to, um, and so, you know, how you apply your money, hard earned money 
to that now. What does that mean just now and in the future? Well, let's circle back to that, talking about identifying where you're at and where you're going. Um, we talked about this on the podcast, but just to kind of recap, what were those conversations with your spouse? How did you convince your spouse or share with your spouse to move five times with a baby <laughs> into all these different houses, let people, let these strangers live in your basement? Um, yeah. what, what, what were kind of those conversations? And I think you said the key of Picturing your perfect day, um, I think is what you said. So you can kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I think like I, I would say for one, like very fortunate, like we have been uh, a couple that have been on the same page about that from the kind of the very beginning. I, she had a fairly non-traditional upbringing. She lived um, in many parts of the world and for shorter periods of time. And then we did the travel thing together. So we were accustomed to being on the move Um but when it came to the investment strategy, uh, the big thing was like, it wasn't that like, we just have to agree on real estate. It was like, what is, what do we envision our life to be like? And what is our perfect day like? And what, how do we spend our time? And um, okay, like think all the way there and like, don't let that be anything short of perfect and then work backwards. And you don't have to know how you're going to get there. You just have to have the idea of where you're trying to go. And then, so we took that and we go, okay, like, you know, ideally, what would that take? Let's say that takes 25 years. Okay, great. Where would we need to be in 15 years? Okay. Where would we need to be in 10 years? And as you get closer to, you know, to five years, one year, then you start to assign like, okay, I would need this much passive income to start to get to that point. Or I would need, you know, you could call it doors, which I don't think is the best metric, but it's a common one that's used. Um, right. So um, we were on the same page of what we wanted life to look like. And then um, when it came time to kind of figure out a strategy, like we were both really a part of that. And that was through, um, we were both home health at the time. So consuming a ton of content between podcasts and audiobooks, And then we were like, send each other a podcast. Oh, did you hear this person on bigger pockets is doing this? Or did you hear this from this financial podcast? They're doing this. Um, or, Hey, let's listen to this tax strategy book. Um, so we were able to share content. Um, and it wasn't because we wanted to learn how to use real estate. It was that we wanted to find a strategy that was going to give us the life that we wanted to have. Yeah, that's so good. Just kind of picturing that perfect day reverse engineering it and then coming back towards back through it. Um, I think that healthcare professionals, healthcare leaders, that clinicians, we have a hard time taking that first step if we don't know all the steps. And that is like the exact opposite of real estate investing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how have you kind of overcome that when you talk to other, you know, healthcare folks, like, do you see that? And how do you kind of, I don't know, like people are like, man, I want to know like ABCD. And it's like, well, Hey, we got to do like step one first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can be, it can be a, a barrier. Um, I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest barrier is like people will come up with a thousand things why they're not going to start. And um, starting is the most important. And like, I think that's why house hacking is so important because I think it offers the safest way to get started. Um, like you're going to need a place to live. So you may as well own it, not rent it. Okay. Getting a place to live might be expensive. How can you decrease that? You could rent out a 
part of that property. Okay. What level of comfort versus profitability are you comfortable with? Okay, great. Can you get it to at least cost the same amount or that you would pay in rent, but you own it now? And then after a period of time, you can move out and then that um, becomes an asset and you literally can double your retirement program by just owning one property after you move out of it. And then you do that a couple of times and you're what you make in your 401k versus what your real estate portfolio is appreciating. And just by buying the place you needed to live, offsetting the cost as much as you need to, to make that monthly payment affordable, and then um, putting in the renovation or putting in the time to be able to move out and know that what it's going to make as a rental is going to pay for its mortgage. Like it's so safe and it's so powerful to um, build up that, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to get you rich in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. But if you can think about your 401k doubling with every property that you purchase, like in 30 years, your properties are paid off. You know, your network is more than you ever dreamed you could do as a provider or as even just a, an employee of any, almost any position. And those properties are cash flowing without a payment on them. And like that's, that's where I try to kind of drive the conversation. Like you don't have to, it just doesn't have to be super detailed. It's just, you need to have that big picture and understand that over time, like real estate, people need places to live. Like that that's not changing. It's a hard, like you said, it's a hard asset. It's something you can hold in your hands. Um, the supply and demand numbers are so strong. It's not based on someone else's actions. It's literally providing housing. Um, I don't think there's a safer thing to do um, and to leverage your money to do. Yep. Uh, let's talk about leverage just for a second. Uh, the principle of, uh, I think, gosh, I was on, I think it was on one of your webinars when you were talking about you're using 5% to own 100% and then the appreciation. Can you kind of talk through that? And then maybe we'll draw it on the board here, kind of just talking through that. Yeah, I, sure. I think like the simplest way to break it down would be like, if, if I was to take, let's call it $20,000 and I was going to put it as uh, into the stock market. Well, let's say the stock market's going to grow at 6%. So it's 20% or 20,000, 6%, and then put it into um, compounding interest over time. However, if I take that 20% and that's my 5% down payment on a property, now I own a much larger asset than just the 20,000 that I put into it. And so um, I, the ability to take just a down payment and control a larger asset and let that now that larger assets value compounded interest, then it's just going to snowball so much faster than and just putting it into um, a vehicle where it's just it itself. Yep, exactly right. I'll, I'll draw it here just so it so people can see it. All right, so so what Dave is saying. So if we have, oops, not six. <laughs> if we have. $20,000 and we put it into the stock market and you can get, I don't know, 6% return, 8% return, whatever. And that compounds. The only thing that's compounding is the $20,000. So if we got, I don't know, so $20,000 times 0.06. So in year one, year one, that's 
$1,200. Year two. So now we're at uh, $2,472 and so on, okay? But in real estate, if you have that 20,000 and you put three and yeah, a half so you percent buy down payment. Yeah, exactly. Three and a half percent down payment. So that's, so our buying power, and I'm just checking my math here. So you could get 20,000, 035. So you get a 500 and we'll call it 570K asset that you control. And if that asset appreciates, which we talked about on my call, appreciation simply means that it gets more valuable over time. Um, over here in Jacksonville, Florida, where our properties are, historic appreciation is 4.3%. Perfect, super is, you know what it is, and You know what it is over in Denver off the top of your head? I think it's between four and six. I, I think four is a good right, conservative we'll call, number. Like that's a nationwide we'll, conservative accepted number of four percent. Four and a half is great. All right. All right. We'll say four percent. So it's easy numbers. Okay. So five hundred and seventy thousand in year one. You have should pull up a spreadsheet, but it's okay. Twenty two eight hundred in gains. Better than twelve hundred. Uh, yeah. I didn't major in math. Minus five seventy minus twenty two eight hundred. Yep. So then year two. 23,700. So literally in year one and year two, just from the appreciation, you got back your down payment. <laughs> yeah. Both years. And like that I'll speak to pretty, that is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. It's so powerful. Like, uh, and you know, I'll speak to what Stacy said a little bit because um, I think, it's important to identify there's different strategies. And so that's an appreciation strategy, right? Like that's an, like you would have to sell that home or do a cash out refinance in order to actually take that money and put it in your pocket. Otherwise it's held right. in that asset, right? It's held in the home still. Um, but I would argue like we invest in 401ks not to take it out every year we in, or our 403bs or whatever like a long it, like view the home if as you a sign a paper you can't take it out till you're old and gray <laughs> yeah or pay massive fees on it um at least at real estate like you got to unload it but you I mean, pay some commissions and you pay some tax on it potentially like I'll, we can talk about how like made um, almost 200 grand and paid no tax on it um but the, you know, appreciation, like if it's an investment strategy for a long period of time, then appreciation all day, it's not in your pocket, but it, it will be and um, let that thing roll. Um, and again, that leverage is just so powerful for me that it makes so much sense as a middle earner to be investing in real estate. Yep. And I'm dropping in the chat here, my calculator. I don't know if you saw it when I pulled it up earlier. 
Um, yeah, it was just great. A, it's a it's a very simple. It's still in testing, still in testing phase. Um, just a very very simple calculator that takes a lot of these concepts of okay, appreciation, debt pay down, cash flow. Like it's hard to put actual numbers on it, and so you know this is an easy way super easy way that you can kind of figure out what some of these numbers would actually look like. So if we were doing a $400,000 home, $400,000 home, and our down payment is $14,000, that's $386,000 loan amount. So you're putting in $14,000 on a to control a $400,000 asset. Interest rate will say 7%. I know it's you know all over the board and there's a lot of variables there. Appreciation conservative, 4%. Um, if somebody had a $400,000 property out there in Denver, what would be a rough market rent? I think 2,000 would be conservative. And that's, yeah, I, I think that's- like 3,000? No, enough. Depends on when you bought it. <laughs> if you bought it today for 400, 2,000 is fair. If you bought it a couple of years ago for 400, then yeah, 2200 is great. I will right, say 2200. Any idea what yearly That's or fair. monthly taxes would be? Defer to Jess. Let's see, 150 be like, be like three grand. We just had a recent assessment. <laughs> Call it 200. Yeah, I see, Jess knows. What was that? You said $400,000 purchase price. 150 a month yeah. for taxes. Okay. Insurance? I'd say the same. All right. All right. So then, yeah. So then we can run this projection over 10 years. So like Dave was saying, and Stacy were saying, if somebody's going for a straight appreciation strategy, that, that cash flow, that monthly rent payment is not going to cover the mortgage. It's going to be a negative cash flow every month. Like Dave said, I have that client where they're playing the negative cash flow, but they're still going to, over that 10 years, they're still going to pay down $193,000 of the loan. They're still going to pick up $192,000 of appreciation. So even with them losing all that, that money on the cash flow, they're still coming out 305K in profit over 10 years, which is like, crazy to think about <laughs> yeah totally and not and like definitely not the strategy i'm advising especially getting started like no no don't no no, no, no. Cash flow. So let's, but so let's it's important this, to see. so let's juice this to like a true 20 percent down so that'd be 80k so we'll put this at 300 and dollars uh, loan amount uh so even there still doesn't quite cash flow at that rent point um but yeah, even still a negative cash flow of 220, you're still making money in the long term. Um and I think like people like we I'm not again, like I think it's funny because people will put money every month into their investment account and like that's okay. And so there are people that consider like, yeah, I've negative cash flow. I'm putting money into my investment account because they look at the numbers that way. I'm making a contribution. Time. Is exactly yeah, yeah, and and I'm selfish. I want both. Control. I want cash flow and I want appreciation. <laughs> like I want. I'm. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're we're the we're the same. So we have a variety of it's like one of our properties is cash, free and clear, no loan, runs for like a thousand, eleven hundred bucks a month. Um, and yeah, we make great cash flow on that, but it's not gonna appreciate very much because it's you know, maybe in a rougher neighborhood, it's only worth you know, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, and then one of our bigger properties is a four two two car garage out by the airport. Um, that's like a three hundred and seventy five thousand dollar house rents for, you know, 2000, whatever a month. So we get more appreciation. You get more appreciation on a more expensive asset. Um, and you're generally going to be able to get a little bit better cash flow on a cheaper, you know, asset. So kind of the way that you double dip by having a multifamily. So if you're having a duplex, triplex or quad, or you have the ability to rent the house and the basement or live in the house and rent the basement, then you can kind of increase that cash flow. Let's see here. Let's see here. So, uh, so, so kind of walk me through, you guys made a big sale and you, you took a lot of it tax-free. Um, uh, Stacy mentioned it or did Jessica or Stacy uh, about, uh, you got to live in a house for two out of the five years and you can pick up those gains tax-free up to 500 K as a married couple section 121 of the tax code. Um, so you guys executed that if I'm not mistaken. So kind of walk us through that. Yeah. Um, always our strategy has been to buy and uh, some sort of renovate or live in a high appreciation area. Uh, and then when we exit that, keep it as a rental. Um, so the property we're most recently in, um, it was in a high appreciating area, but it was a new build, new build townhouse. Um, we were able to get it from a developer out of my real estate office. So we we're able to um, get it at a, at a very good sales price. Um, and we had the Airbnb in the basement. So we were able to offset our mortgage costs by about two thirds every month. Um, so it was like, $3,000 mortgage. We were paying about a thousand a month after collecting from the Airbnb. Um, and then, uh, we had a baby and, uh, having a baby in a three-story townhouse with an Airbnb in the basement was not the, it was not most conducive to raising a baby. And so, um, we were looking at options then and, um, I owed $234,000 in student debt. And so we were fortunate enough to own that property during a very high appreciation time in the market. And um, we looked at, you know, there are many people that would advise me like, hey, you've got this at like a three and a half percent interest rate or whatever it was. Like, you're never going to see that again. Hold on to this property forever, right? Um, however, like there was something more like the dollar amount of that amount of debt was very high, but also the emotional amount and like this like feeling that you're just kind of stuck and you can't fully move past, you know, PT school and in the amount of money that was just like truly a weight. Um, so um, we decided to sell that property. Um, so we had lived in there just under two, by the time we exited, it had been right about two years, but we sold prior to that two year because we had a life changing event, i.e. having a child. So we reached out to the CPA, had the conversation with the CPA, made sure like, hey, this would be no problem, said, nope. Um, so we were able to um, not take the full 500, but we didn't qualify for that, but we were able to take 100% of the net proceeds from the sale of the property. Um, 
and then uh, roll that into paying off my student loans. And so I think we house hacked it part of the way. We left it, we sold it, and all of it to benefit like one offset our mortgage costs while we live there, live for less uh, money, and then two to take out a massive amount of debt taken off of our shoulders. So let's see. So when I was last, so when I was messaging you shortly ago, you guys said you were not going to do that. You were going to invest it and try to beat the beat the payments. Yeah, I looked more into that. You know, like student loan payments <laughs> so you, right you, around you were 7%. Torn. Yeah, and still I haven't I haven't made the the payments yet. Um so come to find out when the monthly payments returned, it was based on my 2019 salary still. It didn't adjust to my more recent salary. So my monthly payment is massively affordable compared to what I thought it was going to be, what I thought it was going to reset to. Um, so it's bought us a little bit of time to um, move into our new home, complete the renovations here. Um, we had the baby. And so we were able to look at, hey, with cash flow off of the other rental properties, um, with the how agency is doing um can we hold on to a little bit of that money maybe get the house where we need it to be but also allow my wife to step away from doing physical therapy so she's been able to do that keep a little bit of a safety net there um and then the plan will be by the end of this year to pay off the, the student debt it's got to go like it's hard to beat seven percent <laughs> you know like like conservatively oh go out there and beat that um like those loans are just crazy what they'll charge you exactly so so that's one thing to point out um is that when you pay off student loans you guarantee you're basically guaranteeing that return that you're not paying right that's one way to kind of look at debt instead of saying oh you know i'm missing out whatever it's like okay well if your credit card's 18 percent you pay that off. You just like, you just guaranteed 18% because you paid it off. Yeah, Matt, exactly. And that's so important to think. And it's in like, it, for us, it, it's that as well as like, it just got to go because after that, like can truly feel free. Um, and I think one of the things as we've adapted our plan, I think it's super important to think about going is like, it's not just about what that end goal is because that end goal is huge, but along the way, it's like to buy our freedom every step of the way. So that first step of buying our freedom was me leaving PT and just doing real estate agency. Then the second step of the freedom was my wife stepping down from working 60 hour a week, super high pressure home health job to working like a 32 hour a week home health job. And then the third step was her to be able to walk away fully too. And the fourth is then to pay off the debt. And then like after that, like, just trying, like you mentioned earlier, like we didn't, life's not guaranteed. And so how can we buy our time back as quickly as possible? And so a piece of that will be to pay off that student debt and just that will be gone. Um, we'll just have mortgages and can have other people pay those. Yeah. Um, well, I, gosh, I think it was I think it was on the Chris Williams podcast. He quoted someone else. I forget who the original person is, but it says, don't sacrifice. Don't sacrifice what you're working towards along the way to get there. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I think that was like so, the so, people did that for so long. Oh, well, I'll get there. And then it's this. And like, it's a horizon, dude. You walk towards it and you never really get there. Like if you're, if you're thinking that way, like it's never really enough. And if you're not trying to buy your life back every single step of the way to maximize the quality of life that you can now, 
then I think you got to readjust. Like personally, <laughs> I would advise you to readjust your yeah. thought process. Like, like if your whole if your whole goal is, hey, I'm trying to buy back my time, but then you just build yourself another job and more stress, then you're just making an exchange. You're not actually like, I don't know. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, like becoming an agent is is another job. It is a full time right. plus job. It, it comes with um much stress, but it has allowed my wife to then decrease her stress and it allows her to be home with the kid. And it allows us to not house hack right now. Like we don't have someone living in our basement now. And so um there's it's just ebbs and flows along the way. Um, but also to position myself in a career that um the end goal can be whatever I want it to be. Like it's unlimited what that can be. And I felt very capped in physical therapy as far as earnings, as far as lifestyle. Um, and so um, using the investments to start, but then finding a career path that aligned with what I cared about that I learned through investing um, to, again, just to try to buy our freedom as much as possible every step of the way. Um, all with keeping in line with what the end goal is. It's not like, oh, go out there and buy the fancy house, go out there and buy a fancy car as soon as we can afford it. It's like, no, how can we, because we know once we free her time up to be home, like that frees my time up to not be partial in childcare. And, and that allows me to grow the business. And it's just like every step of the way, always leading towards that end goal, but not allowing it to just be grind, 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 and then die. Yep. Because that's exactly what my dad did. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, Make it happen, man. Yeah, and that's, and I, and honestly, like, for me, like, I feel that internal struggle, like, so strongly. Like, last summer, last summer, we were traveling on the road, and it was during COVID, so I have my phone, and I was working with a, uh, a counselor therapist, and just, like, talking through life is stressful, man. <laughs> the changes on the road and all that stuff. And I was telling her, you know, a lot of the things that I've shared, you know, about my dad and like the, the, the pressure and all this. And she said, so you're telling me that you want the time freedom with the family to be able to have that flexibility. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, but you're willing to grind it out and work nonstop and feel like you're on the clock in order to reach that. And I was like, yeah, she said, those kind of seem like opposites. And I was like, I don't know what to do. That's real, uh, man. Be, be, because, yeah, because if I'm trying to say, hey, I'm trying to get my time, but then all my free time I put into the grind to get the time. Like, whew, that's a tough, that cycle hard. <laughs> uh, I mean, I it's a, it's a constant struggle for me too. Like to, and there's a part of me that like, I really enjoy work. Like I really enjoy um, like working hard and, and going after it and grinding. Like there's a part of me that like, I think, I don't know, like probably becoming a physical therapist and getting a doctorate in physical therapy. You, you have to have that to some extent, like you mentioned earlier, like it's built Absolutely. into you in some way. Um, but I think that's why like talking to a therapist and having people to have perspective with is so important because sometimes what feels like a super aligned maybe is not as aligned as it seems. Um, but it's hard yes. because and that's where, <laughs> right. Because you say, Hey, you know, if I put in 
two hours a week, we're going to get there in two years. If I put in 40 hours a week, maybe we'll get there in six months. But then it's like, what's your quality of life along the way? So I really like you kind of highlighting, okay, like maybe you could get those gains quicker, but what are you selling along the way? And that's why we evaluate every year. My wife and I, we sit down and evaluate like, and like you said, we like, we look at that long-term goal, but it's like, what do we, we try, we break that down to be like, what is the one thing that we have to do this year that puts us towards that goal? And then the idea is to let the rest of it fall away. Um, and like, that is not something you just like flip the switch on, but it is absolutely a process. And it's something I think that it has to be worked on. And it's like just focusing on the few activities that are going to drive the most gains um, and letting the rest fall away. Yep. The 80, 20 rule, 20, 20% gets you the 80, 80 gain. Yep. What are those few activities? Absolutely. Oh, let's see here. I'm trying to think was a, there's one more thing that I was going to say. Um, trying on to get there. Oh, darn. I had a good one. Oh, working hard. I feel like honestly, so here, here's what's happening right now. And this is going to be an unpopular thing because the real estate market is changing and a lot of investment strategies, how I talk about spoke on the wheel, a lot of those have been cut out. They're not profitable, not good ideas to do right now. And so I feel like there is a massive surge of these online real estate gurus and classes and all those things because these people are trying to get money and cash flow from other sources. So I've been like unbelievably flooded on all my social media ads and just like bombarded with all these people that are like, oh, you don't have to own anything and you can just sit back and you can download chat GPT and get $100,000 a month. And to be clear, like real real estate with actual assets and actual buildings and buying them, it is hard work. It is not, um, I don't, I don't, I don't want people to miss that this is not a get rich quick scheme that, that we are talking about. And you say it a lot of time, you say it's the tried and true way, um, that we're trying to execute here. We're not trying to do this new flashy, like pulling one over on homeowners. We're not trying to trick people. We're not trying to Airbnb arbitrage. Like, I don't know. I would hundred percent agree. And like, there are tons of ways to do different things. And it's like, for me, it's, you don't have to just stay the course, like run the numbers, buy good deals and understand that it doesn't happen quickly. And if someone says it does, I would have many, many questions about that. Um, there, and don't get me wrong, people do stuff that does work, but it's like, I'm not, I want it to be sustainable. I want to provide good housing. Um, and like, absolutely. Is it a lot of work? But managing my rentals was far, far, far fewer hours. Like I could treat one patient in a month. And that was the amount of time I put towards managing long-term rentals. Like, you yeah. know, for the most part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Last last question here is we'll wrap up is, um, ooh, excuse me, just as perspective for volume. Um, Alex Hormozzi, I love Hormozzi. He talks about, a lot about how volume negates luck, um, just like putting in the reps and evaluating deals, analyzing deals, looking at houses, all those kinds of things. Just for like perspective, you're going to know better than me because you're working with a lot more people and running a lot more numbers. I know for me, 
I'm probably looking at 50 to 100 properties on Zillow, MLS, wholesale emails coming down. I'm probably looking at 50 to 100 properties a week, kind of looking at them roughly before even taking like a deep dive to evaluate if one is truly a good deal or not. Um, just so people have some perspective because they say, man, I looked at five houses and they're not deals. So I guess like my market's bad. And it's like, what's kind of the volume that investors are kind of like evaluating in deals? Ah, man, that's a good question. It's for me personally, it's like, I'm trying to empower my clients to, to look themselves, right? Like, and like, Hey, let's oh, yeah, set yeah, up. Yeah. That, that, that's what I mean. Like, 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 like how much looking, like you're not going to look at five houses and find a house that's going to be a house hack, especially not right now. No, no, like set the parameters. Um, so you, that there's, that there's an intelligence that screens things for you. It's like, Hey, I needed to have a basement. I needed to have this many bedrooms and I needed to be this overall price. And, and then, so like cut out a large number that you don't have to click through. Um, I would say, once you start to crystallize your criteria, it's like, it's less about going over deal after deal after deal. And it's more about like just time in the market, like giving yourself enough time for that, those deals to come across. Um, like, uh, like you can always run numbers, um, but, and uh, you can always offer lower than what it's listed at. However, I think is like starting to know like, okay, I know this is what's going to work. I have a couple strategies that I think are going to work. And, um, and then just kind of from there, it's what through pictures and listing descriptions and um, working with professionals, I think you can start to narrow things down. Um, I've had people that are seasoned investors that we saw one house and they bought it and they knew, um, you know, other people, it's going to take a longer <laughs> period of time. So I don't think there's a, a straight number for it, but I do think it's like really having a general sense of the market and that will allow you to kind of dial it in. Um, and then when it comes down to break down each deal, you know, you can, you can narrow it down. So you're not running numbers all the time, but the more you look at deals, the more you look at properties, the, the quicker you can at least feed out the bad ones uh, and then, and then focus on other ones. Like, yeah, probably things that come across my desk. Maybe it's about, 50, but honestly, when it comes down to looking at it, it's, it becomes very narrow, but time, but it's time. Establishing that, establishing that criteria is crucial because then you're not just like, you know, looking yeah, at everything you you're saying, all right, here's everything. my buy box and things are coming by, things are coming by. And then when one comes in, boom, you execute. Um, so that's super important. And that's where having a real estate agent in a market on the ground that's familiar with it that knows what they're doing like a rookie of the year top 10 sales associate dave and dave can help you if you're not in colorado denver dave can help you find another one across across the country it's easy Absolutely. to find those top 10 people um but that's like the huge benefit of using an established agent in a market they can help you dial down your criteria know your criteria and then from there know the things that would indicate a motivated seller and they, those are the things that lead to deals right now. So is it sitting on the market for a long period of time? Have they had pretty drastic price drops or have they price dropped quickly multiple times? Are they price dropping every week or they have a large chunk in price drop? Um, is it vacant? 
Is it um, how many like total days on market? If it's vacant, it's been a lot of days on market and I see price drops like that. Someone that's motivated because life has led them to live somewhere else. And so those are the things that start to piece those together. And that may be something that is a really good deal. Not always, um, but those are the things that at least from the outset show that there could be motivation for you to get that property for less than it should be valued at. And oftentimes it's because it started with too high of a price, um, a subpar marketing plan. Um, but when you start too high and you start to try to come down in value, you're chasing it and people automatically think what's wrong with this property. And there could be nothing wrong with mm. the property, but it it develops a stigma like buy stigma properties. <laughs> Those are the ones right now that <laughs> there's equity yeah. to be had. Yeah. Maybe not cash flow. Good That's a little bit harder, but. <laughs> well, good deal. Good deal. So we'll uh, kind of wrap it up here. We'll see. Um, We'll see who's still with us here. We got a uh, Miss Andrea. We got Ian, Patrick. And we got iPhone. I think that's Jessica right there. Uh, has anybody got any questions here for myself or Dave? Um, you can drop them in the chat. If you're feeling brave, you can uh, unmute yourself. Um. While people are getting their thoughts together, Dave, where can people find you? What's the easiest way to find you? Yeah, uh, at Homes with Dave on Instagram. Um, I'll put it in the chat and then Homes with Dave at kw.com for email. And that's the place I spend most of the time. Right. And then providers of properties with Jess. Like that's our platform where we want to share all this information and how we kind of connect with you, Tommy. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man, we didn't even get into your uh your senior your senior housing project initiative. Andrea Andrea Savon Fogel here on the call is part of that. Oh, uh, hey Andrea. Um, yeah, man, I that's utilizing even more of the home health skills. Um the PT skills and realizing that there's seniors that are a massive market that are going to need to sell their homes. Um, and so what does that look like? Sounds like insider trading to me. Yeah, We don't uh, solicit the patients. I don't have any patients no, to no, solicit. No. I know. I'm just teasing. But, hey, but as as they need help. Interest, it's all good. Dude, yeah, a lot of it. So like down here in Tampa, that's a huge, huge, huge issue is people are trying to figure out, okay, I need to move to like an assisted living place because I need help. But how do I sell my house? Who do I sell my house? My house can't be sold because it's a disaster. And I have six cats <laughs> that peed on yeah. everything. Um, Tell me that's why you yeah, need your It business. is. Yeah, we can, Um, we might have to do a separate podcast episode talking about all that good stuff. Because I think the skill set of a home health therapist have a really detailed understanding of medical home environment equipment to help, you know, for the benefit. Literally, of the there would literally be no one better to no be there. Real exactly. Like you can talk to what level of care, not just initial, but long-term you could talk to the real estate side of things and like, Hey, I maybe a cash offer, take your, what you'd like, leave the rest or, Hey, this is what it would take to get this thing ready to go on market. And this is what we can get. And I don't know about Tampa, but like in Denver, it's super fortunate because people have owned these homes for 30 years and they have a ton of equity. And like the equity is what's going to pay for their $10,000 a month AL. 
like this is the only is such a saving grace to help pay for their care and people don't have most people don't have long-term care insurance most people don't have a savings most people's kids have not thought about it and so the equity in the home can really be the way to help cover people and give them quality of life forever and like like savannah and i like we always promote like live at home and independently for absolutely as long as possible but eventually the time comes yeah. that some little care is going to be needed yeah oh my gosh down here in tampa dude there's such a wide range like we our facility we go into a lot of assisted livings for home health and some of them are your like medicare or your medicaid memory long-term care who man they're they are i don't want to use the word sketchy lightly but uh they are definitely you know, low on the uh, nice pole. And then uh, other ones of them, I mean, they're like five-star Disney resorts. I mean, there's one, there's one that's lived there for 15 years. It's a $100,000 down payment to Ooh. get an apartment. And then it's like 25K a year on top of it. Yeah, man. And um, her, her, her spouse was like a, a, phd international research i don't know they they were very well off and then he passed and left her a very nice chunk of money but yeah when you start thinking about assisted living long-term care the the prices are astounding and so what, what you're doing is like it's a massively it's a massive need yes it is and it's like to have someone to help people transition with the care and the knowledge and like just to one understand how that person views the world Two, how, you know, their adult children are involved and you've dealt with them in the care, you know, as a therapist. So you understand their impact and that, and that adult, you know, that older adults decisions. And uh, so if you can provide those skills and meanwhile, you help them offload a property, um, you know, it can lead to investment opportunities on your end. It can lead to, to real estate sales. It can, but, but you can be the person of sound advice and empathy and experience working with hundreds of older people as a therapist. It's it's all the same. It's just applying it to a different trait. It's just like the good old the good old ICF model. You're getting all those contextual factors, right? right. <laughs> I've heard the ICF <laughs> model dropped in a minute. Thank you for that. <laughs> the ICF model. Maybe we'll have to draw that tomorrow. Put some real estate on there. <laughs> yeah, put it on the board. Jeez. All right, Dave. Well, I really appreciate it, man. We were going to do like a Q&A here, but uh, looks like it's not a lot of not a lot of folks out there. So we might uh, <laughs> might just call it here. But well, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Else got any questions or anything? I don't see any questions in the chat. So I think we'll call it here. Good deal. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for coming on and I'll stop the recording here.